you're not already turned there, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I had the great privilege of spending the week with this verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One writer says this justly famous verse is one of the most critical in this letter and indeed within the writings of the Apostle Paul. Charles Hodge writes of this, There is probably no passage in the Scriptures in which the doctrine of justification is more concisely or clearly stated than in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Our sins were imputed to Christ, and His righteousness is imputed to us. These are one of these verses in the Bible that in a short way summarize the gospel for us. And so it is our reflection this evening, and my hope is through it, we might come to further grasp something of the glory of the gospel, that we might know something further of the riches of this message of reconciliation. As it was read here in the context, Paul was discussing that he's an ambassador for Christ, that as an ambassador inhabits a foreign land and represents the nation, so too the Apostle Paul is representing God, and he has a message, and his message is, be reconciled to God. And, and he then summarizes that message of reconciliation in, in verse 21. So that is uh, the verse that we will reflect on this evening shortly. And I have uh, four headings by which I want us to analyze it. <clears throat> what is this message of reconciliation? Uh, your, your first point there, it, it requires the perfect person for reconciliation. I think the word order in the original text here is is helpful, and it begins this way. He who did not know sin, that's where the verse uh, begins. It begins with Jesus, and it begins with telling us something of, of who he is. He who did not know sin. Jesus Christ was the perfect person for reconciliation because he was the perfect person. He was sinless. He did not know sin. What does it mean that Christ did not know sin? Well, of course, he knew about sin. Sin was not a new concept to him. But as John Owen tells us, Jesus did not know sin's commission and guilt. Meaning, Jesus never sinned himself and experienced the guilt for sin that you and I deserve that you and I experience. In 1 Peter 2.22, it tells us that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. Also in Hebrews uh, chapter 7, verse 26, it tells us, For indeed it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. This is our perfect high priest. Jesus was sinless. 
He was without sin. He did not know sin. And for you and I who live in this sin-cursed world, that's an amazing feat. We can't go a day without sin, sin clinging to us. And Jesus lived his whole life here without sin. We call Jesus temptation by, by Satan that three times explicitly Satan is, is tempted. Tur, turn these stones in, into bread. You're, you're hungry, aren't you? Jump, jump, jump from the temple. God promises in his word, he'll, his angels, they'll, they'll catch you. Bow to me, Jesus, and I'll give you all of these kingdoms. Jesus faced that without hesitation. No, it is written, it is written, it is written. As a human being, Jesus faced temptation and was perfect. Jesus knew pure, unhindered fellowship with the Father. We're so thwarted by our sin, and, and that so affects our relationship with God that we don't even understand that. But Jesus knew that perfect fellowship with the Father because he was perfect himself. He was without sin. He was sinless. He was without stain or guile. He was the perfect person needed for reconciliation. Point two, the pitiful people who need reconciliation. So we go through this verse, him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, the perfect person. And and here in the ESV it says, for our sake, or it, it you may have in behalf of us or for us. <clears throat> who are the us? That's us. <laughs> the sinner. His people. And there could not be a greater contrast between the reconciler and the reconciled. Maybe you're here and you don't... What does reconciliation mean? Well, two sides that are hostile towards one another become friendly towards one another. That if two countries are at war with one another and their, their goal is utter destruction of the other enemy, if they sign the peace treaty, they've reconciled. They're on good terms now. They will no longer seek to destroy one another. Or maybe... If you have a sibling, at times you're at odds with your sibling growing up. And mom or dad has to sit you down and and work through this and apologize and, 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 and be on friendly terms. Be reconciled to one another. So there's a hostility that's then dissolved to bring friendly terms. And there is... No greater hostility that exists today than between God and man. And why is that? It's because we have rebelled against our sovereign king. That, as you know, in the, in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve were, were Created by God, created for His glory, created to live with God, are then given a specific task 
of, of, of stewardship over the earth, of dominion. They're told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and, and they eat. They rebel against God. Because Satan tempted the woman and said, you'll be like God. And she, she took that. And she and Adam rebelled against God. We've all rebelled against God that he's given us his word, he's given us his rule over us, and we, we want to do our own thing. We see this, modern perversions of this, of wicked rulers in our world. There's no fear of God. There's no, there's no concern for what God says and His Word and how He should govern. There is just, this is what I want. This is my agenda and I will kill, slaughter, persecute, whatever to get what I want and to exert my power. We see this in our own nation and in the world at large in the sexual revolution. God designed sexuality. He's given the, the perfect parameters for it. <clears throat> and, and, and the culture wants to throw that off. I don't care what God says. I want to do what I want. And this amounts to great rebellion against our holy God, who is king and rightfully deserves our obedience. Recall, we are like the, the wicked uh, tenants of Jesus' parable. The, the, the owner of the vineyard puts the tenants in charge, goes away, and then he sends a representative, and they, they, they beat him and throw him out of town. He sends another, another and another. Some are beaten, some are killed. He sends his own son, and they slaughter him. Why? We don't care about the owner of the vineyard. We care about ourselves. And that is the us. So as opposed to the one who did not know sin, we know sin and know it well. We have rebelled against God. We are a pitiful people. We deserve His wrath. We, God is on hostile terms with the sinner because of his holy character and the greatness of our rebellion. That is the pitiful people who need reconciliation. So if we're going to be put on terms with God, uh, <clears throat> some, something's got to break this hostility. That goes to our next point. The proper punishment for reconciliation. What does it take to reconcile such pitiful and rebellious people to God? It's in the phrase, He made him to be sin. Or quite literally, He made him sin. This is the center of the verse. It's the, it's the apex of, of what this message of reconciliation is about. He made him to, to be sin. What does this mean? I think uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 is a helpful <clears throat> uh, parallel to this passage. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Here we're talking about 
the curse of the law, the law had its, had its requirements. We failed those requirements. We get the curse of the law. But what did Jesus do? Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus took the curse for us. He was made to be sin. Jesus did not become a sinner in the sense that he sinned. Rather, he was treated as a sinner by incurring the guilt that you and I deserve for our sin. As John Owen says, the Lord Christ was made sin for us by the imputation of the guilt of our sins unto him. And this word imputation is important, so I want to define it so we all are on the same terms. Imputation simply means to apply to one's account. An older term is to reckon. It's an accounting term. And I was trying to think about how we could illustrate this in in modern terms, and no illustration is... is, uh, perfect, but I was thinking about if you would go to co-sign a loan, don't ever do this. In fact, the Bible prohibits this uh, pretty clearly. But when you co-sign a loan, you are saying, I'm backing this person who's signing this, this loan. That their debt is now reckoned as my debt. And in fact, it, that, that debt in, in your your repayment or, or their repa- lack of repayment or repayment of that will show up on your credit score. And if they fail to, to take uh, and pay that, they're going to require that of you, and they'll take your possessions until you, you pay for it if you don't have the funds for it. So you're, it's not your debt, but it, it becomes your debt. It's accounted to you. So in a similar way, as we look at Jesus, he was sinless. He did not know sin. God made him sin, meaning God treated him as if he were a sinner, as if he were guilty of all our sin, and he, and he bore the wrath for our sin. It's the imputation of our guilt, of our sin, Jesus took. Christ took your guilt and bore the punishment that you deserve for your guilt, for your sin. He was made to be sin. All of your sins and all of your guilt as Jesus is dying on the cross is laid on him. He is taking the punishment that you deserve for your sin. That hostility that you brought against you and God, Jesus is taking that. The curse of death, Jesus is taking that. All the guilt for all your sins is laid on Christ. All the lies you've ever told. 
Your prideful heart, your envy and jealous of other possessions, your immorality, your blaspheming of God, your apathy towards the things of God. Jesus bore that guilt. He he was treated as if he committed those sins himself which you committed. He was made to be sin. What is the proper punishment for sin? Death. And that's what Jesus died for you and me. As one writer said, Christ became sin in order that others might become the righteousness of God. Paul is not focusing on Jesus' human life, but on his inglorious death. Christ experienced the consequences for human sin. The one who lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, estranged from God and the object of wrath. He was treated as a sinner in his death. This is what Jesus suffers for us, the text says. For our sake, in behalf of us, he was made to be sin. He bore the proper Punishment for reconciliation. Which leads us to the next point, the precious prize of reconciliation. This is the other side of imputation. You you may have heard, we believe in double imputation. Jesus gets our guilt and its punishment so that we might become the righteousness of God. We get the righteousness of God. Which is amazing. We, the us, remember the us? Who is the us? The pitiful people. Contrast, righteousness is contrasted to, to being sin. We are the ones who know sin. We are the sinner. The sinner, the defiled one, the stained one, gets to become righteous. What is righteousness? It's loving and doing what is right. It's it's perfect perfection before God. So in his death, Jesus gets our guilt and punishment... And then we get his righteousness imputed, reckoned, counted to us. And we get the reward for that righteousness, which is eternal life. He gets the reward for sin, death. We get the reward for righteousness, life. But keep in mind, this righteousness is not our own. What does it say? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And I think those two words dismantle Roman Catholic doctrine of justification. Righteousness isn't infused into us in that we then become righteous and God accepts that and then justifies that righteousness which we accomplish. No, it's he was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's imputed, it's reckoned, it's counted to us. 
but it's not our own. As John Owen says, to be righteous in him is to be righteous with his righteousness as we are one mystical person with him. Jesus gets our guilt and our death. We get his righteousness so that as you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God justifies you and he sees you no longer as the guilty sinner with whom he is in hostile relations, but he sees you clothed in the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of his own Son. And that is your basis of acceptance before God. As one early church writer says, Oh, sweet exchange, oh, inscrutable operation, oh, unexpected blessings, that the lawlessness of many should be hidden in one righteous person, and the righteousness of one should justify the lawless many. Or Charles Hodge again, Our sins were imputed to Christ, and His righteousness is imputed to us. He bore our sins. We are clothed in His righteousness. Christ bearing our sins did not make Him morally a sinner. Nor does Christ's righteousness become subjectively ours. It is not the moral quality of our souls. Our sins were the judicial ground of the sufferings of Christ so that they were a satisfaction of justice. And his righteousness is the judicial ground of our acceptance with God so that our pardon is an act of justice. It's a declaration of God. You are righteous. And you are righteousness with the righteousness that, is, that comes from my Son. How do we get this righteousness? Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, after telling us that Jesus was a curse for us so that we can be redeemed, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. It's through faith. You don't achieve righteousness by trying to be righteous. It's not through your own doing. It's not through your own works. It is through faith. It is through acknowledgement of your pitiful position before God, your hostility that your sin has caused, the just judgment of death and eternal condemnation that you deserve. But in Jesus Christ, there is a sacrifice that takes away our sin. He became sin. And you ask God to clothe you in the righteousness of Christ and He will give that to you by faith. What an exchange! So I pray tonight, maybe you're here and you're not sure. Ask yourself, Am I clothed in the righteousness of Christ tonight? If you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not. 
and, and you are in a hostile relationship with God and that He will justly judge you. But there is good news. If you turn to Him in repentance and faith, He will give you the righteousness of His own Son. Believe that this very evening and you will be saved. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Words are insufficient to describe the glory of the Gospel. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, says the Apostle John. It was difficult to pick hymns this week because there's hymn after hymn after hymn on the glory of the gospel. And the right, they're trying to find all of these extravagant words to explain. Amazing grace, amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? And so as, as we, we move towards our, our Lord's Supper this evening, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God calls us to remember. Remember this gospel. And maybe, maybe you're here tonight and, and you, as a believer, and, and you're just... You're just not where you want to be in life. It just hasn't turned out what you thought. You would like to be further along in your career, or you'd like to be out of your career, or you'd like to be in a different career. Your marriage is more difficult than you expected. This parenting thing isn't always so glorious. Your body is giving out, and the pain of existence is real. Maybe you're on the latter half of your life and you look back and you, you, you look back with regret. I wish I would have done this differently. I wish I didn't do this. I wish I would have taken that opportunity. Or maybe you're here and you're just in the struggle with sin. It just is constant and you just seem to make very slow progress. Remember. No matter those realities of your life, remember this truth. God the Father sent His Son to pay the insurmountable debt for your sins that you deserve so that you could be reconciled with Him and enjoy eternal riches with Him in glory. So before you are tempted to murmur and complain, remember this message of reconciliation. God did not spare His own Son, as we learn today, but gave Him up for us all. What more could we ask from God? The perfect person has reconciled a pitiful people by suffering a proper punishment to attain for them a precious prize. What a glorious gospel we have. And we are called to remember it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing love 
Words cannot sufficiently describe the great realities of the gospel. That he who did not know sin for our sake was made sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are at a loss of words. We thank you, though, for this great reality. And even as we prepare to remember this, Lord, minister grace to our heart. Build our faith in you. Through this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.